We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company. Coming a Tuesday afternoon, it's January 31st, uh, the end of the month that the Wolves went 11-5. and five. I got Britt Robson here with me to take a kind of broader look at you know, the steps the Wolves have taken forward uh, in the month of January. Britt wrote specifically about Anthony Edwards in the month of January. Uh, which we'll we'll get into uh, here shortly, but Britt, I think the place to to start today uh, is by talking about how things kind of went down in the loss, specifically in overtime on Monday night. Uh, it was Demonte Simonis fouled out at the end of regulation, which led the Kings to bring in Trey Lyles, which totally changed the dynamic of the Kings' offense. They played that five out offense. It's the it's the thing that killed the Jazz, right, in, in the playoffs the right. last two years against the Clippers and and the Mavericks. And we got to look at it for an extended five-minute stretch in overtime. And and it really it really hurt the Wolves um in this one. And while that I think is frustrating, I think it's a it's a good thing that they got um some experience with this in in the regular season because if we weren't already going to for surely see this in the playoffs, um, now teams are going to do it even more because the scout right. is out there. It, it really hurt them um, in overtime. I want to get to what a, what Finch talked about with that, what some of the players said in the locker room uh, after the game. But let's just start with with your takeaways from overtime and and specifically where the Wolves got hurt by the five out offense because it wasn't just Rudy Gobert, it wasn't just D'Angelo Russell, it wasn't just Jaden McDaniels. Right. They collectively got spread out and hurt by a five-out offense. Uh, what stood out to you? A couple of things. First of all, I admire Finch for falling on his sword whenever um, – I mean, Finch was clearly disappointed more in himself than anybody else. He he said he didn't like the fact that he didn't put a different unit on the floor, whatever that meant. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that would have meant taking Gobert off it, which is always the thing people think about. Or just maybe one tweak, a different system. Maybe it's a scheme tweak. Uh, so there was or Daniel Russell. I mean, if what he said was changing, he wanted to have different lineups out there. And I'm with you. 
that, well, he certainly didn't clarify whether what that lineup change would have been, but watching the game, rewatching the game, um, you can point to multiple different problems with the lineup construction that they had out there. And the, the top end ones are the ones that seemed most noticeable were Gobert in his inability to effectively switch out to the perimeter and D'Angelo Russell's ability to just Back guard in. Yeah. Right. In, or yeah, that too, but just guard all the other four guys, just guard in, in isolation as right. well. So I'm, I'm curious in Finch's heart of hearts, uh, what that actually meant to him. I mean, we can, we can say what, what stood out, what stood out to us, but he well, did say a lineup change. Is that it was an ambush, even though they saw Trey Lyles come into the game. Yep. You know, it's overtime. People are hepped up. You know, they just got through with an incredibly, uh, it was one of the best physical battles. The Sabonis Gobert battle in game two of that series was really, it kind of reminded me, not quite as physical, but I remember when Dwight Howard was a rookie and I went, went to a rare Wolves road game back then. And back then the Magic had uh, had you sit right beneath the hoop, mm. almost where the photographers are now. And uh, Howard and KG went at it. Man, it was, it was mortal combat. And Sabonis is a handsy guy. I mean, he follows people so often that he doesn't get called for it anymore. And uh, Gobert is used to pushing people. And so they both ran into people that they're both used to getting the rebound. They're two of the top five rebounders in the NBA and maybe even two of the top three. I don't know where Gobert is right now. But um, the point being is that was an emotional battle. And all of a sudden you got Trey Lyles coming in. He played before. uh, So you could see him in the lineup and go, okay, well, Trey Lyles is back. Who's on him? You know, well, Gobert's on him or somebody's on him, but uh, he's playing a different position than he was before. And I think, yes, it's the responsibility of the Wolves to grasp that immediately and adjust immediately. But I can kind of see how and why they didn't. The timing was totally bizarre. Like, yeah, it 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 absolutely was. And and just rewatching the overtime today, like. It didn't click, or what it seemed like rewatching it is right. it clicked in Rudy's head after the first possession, which was that Monk attack was getting past Russell. Right. Rudy right. comes down to help, and it's just the empty side. It's just the, the two of them. Monk kicks it out to Lyles in the corner, and Rudy's like, well, damn, that would have been the right thing for me to have done if it was Sabonis in the corner, because as right. Monk would have started attacking, Sabonis would have come down for the offensive rebound. Right. I don't think Sabonis would have stayed in in the corner there. And you see Rudy look to the bench and kind of give like a clap. And and I think that was it really registering in their head, oh, they're gonna go five out here all right. of all of overtime. And they did, but the Wolves did not effectively adjust. And that wasn't the only no. possession that Rudy got hurt by Lyles being on well, the Well the Trey Lyles cut was probably the the most blatant, that's when everybody, mm. you know, even the casual fans, and even me at that time, actually, who just went, oh, Trey Lyles is wide open underneath because there isn't a center on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a factor. 
uh, you could punish that kind of lineup at the other end, but the Wolves were way too enmeshed in doing what they do on that, offense. And that's, that's, that's the key point, right? And that was the key point in the Dallas and the Clippers series when the Jazz played them uh, in, in the playoffs was it's not just about getting spread out and, and hurt defensively. It's, it's about the inability to punish that offensively on the other end, which the Jazz did not do. Rudy did not do in the playoffs. Um, and the Wolves did not do last night in that game. Rudy, we asked Rudy about this in the locker room after the game. This is kind of a long clip, but I think it's it's worth playing out. I'm interested in hearing it. I haven't heard it. Yeah, because you you took off because you, you had to. Well, you had woke write, up at right. 3 a.m. this morning to write a column, which is <laughs> insane. Uh, but uh, but yeah, Rudy Rudy does talks about what went wrong defensively. But at the end of the clip, too, is why it left it so long. Is he talks about the inability to punish offensively, and that is mm-hmm. what I think we always have to. Keep in the back of our minds when we're talking about teams going small against Rudy Gobert. It's not just about guarding. It's about hurting it uh, offensively. So here's here's Rudy in the locker room after the game asked about the end of the game. Rudy, just uh, in, in overtime, what made it difficult to get those stops that you needed? I mean, they, they, they play with five out. And, uh, you know, we, we weren't really prepared for that in a way. So we... I mean, they they got some wide open threes. Uh, they were able to get some easy, we got two easy dunks. Uh, so yeah, uh, I thought we could have done a much better job. When a team goes small like that against you guys, what's going to be the key to combating that and making sure that it, it isn't as successful as it was? I think it starts for for just understanding the difference uh, between uh, when there's five shooter on the court, like. Uh, I can, for example, like when I'm going on the ball side corner, I can't be the one helping. So we got to pretty much play like regular shell, you know, have a low man from the weak side that comes if we get beat, um, you know, and just, uh, yeah, just guard, just guard and and then switch if we need to, I think, and then just, just, just guard the ball. I think we got to really sit down, guard, and, uh, and make them, you know, beat us. And if they beat us, have... Uh, the weak side uh, helping, and yeah, every possession was kind of different. But uh, I do think, uh, yeah, uh, two of them, like one of one of them, was a back closeout for me on trail eyes, and uh, and then the the, the overhead on the corner for me too. Those, that's six points right there that uh, I could take away for sure. And people always look for like scheme fixes and whatnot, but it really kind of does come down to just on ball defense at that point, right? <laughs> I mean, we can talk about all kind of all kind of everything we want but it's true that at the end of the day uh, a lot of it comes down to that you know and uh, and I do think offensively we uh, we turned the ball over a lot in the overtime I don't know how many we had uh, I had a, a tough one too I, I just think like that that hurts too um, not being able to punish them uh, for playing small on the other hand I thought that was all great in informative very detailed about the defense I like the show yeah. I mean, you know, shell only gets used in certain instances. This is a perfect time to say that word because that's what you need. You need stability. The temptation is to run around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to stop all these people. And if everybody kind of knows it's not a zone, it's a shell, it's uh, 
it just is it's a way to put organization into a chaotic situation and i thought it was really a, a smart comment he had of course go bear why wouldn't he be smart he if anybody knows about having to combat five out it's rudy gobert it was it was interesting um before like right when we got into the locker room you know before the mics are on and we're interviewing the players uh in the scrums rudy ant and d'angelo were all having a conversation uh you know about this and and that was the first time I heard Rudy use that, you know, that that shelter, like of of what his were. If they're going to go five out, we need to be able to play a, a shell defense, which is not totally projecting blame um, at all on on Rudy's no. part. Um, it's it's about to be able to guard this. All five of us need to be able to keep, you know, our our man in front of us. And if that ha- happens, I won't make the same mistake of over rotating and. And doing those things now, and then simultaneously, Aunt Dilo were talking about, you know, well, also we should have punished that offensively with, you know, with like them not having any any bigs on the floor there too, um, and and you know, there, there's there's these different strategies too. And now, did the other is is another option having taken Rudy all the way off the floor so you can just straight switch five rather than having that shell, I think that was on some of the players' minds too. It might have even been on Rudy's. You know, that's chum in the water. Of- I'll tell you right now, if you you bench Gobert yeah. on a five out in the regular season, um, that's chum in the water for people. That that is, though. Like at, at and I'm regular season. I think is a is a, a key point there. At some point, though, if you are playing, say, the Clippers in the playoffs mm-hmm. in the first round, or if you're playing Golden State, right, who they're mm-hmm. actually, which I think is fascinating, they get to play Golden State on Wednesday. Golden State is now starting Draymond at the five. I mean, we'll get some loony in there, but you'll get a lot of five out um, uh, against Golden State as well. And in my opinion, I, I do think situationally, you need to be comfortable enough to go away from mm-hmm. from Rudy in in certain situations on a Monday night in January, probably not because of the chum in the water, all that. Uh, But I, I I see truth to, to both of the, the different strategies of, I think the shell is the best idea with Rudy, but there are other alternatives um, to be able to, to do in terms of going, matching their smallness, particularly if with Rudy on the floor, you aren't able to punish them offensively on the other side of the floor, you know? Yeah, and I don't think switching works for either slow-mo or D'Lo uh, yeah. in that instance. Uh, I could be wrong about slow-mo, but I, I don't think um, – anyway. No, 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 this is a good point. Like, if if you did take Rudy off the floor, then I think right. – it, it then who are your five out there? It, right. I think it should be – it should be – you should be going with five of your best interchangeable defenders. Well, Rivers should definitely replace – uh, D'Lo, mm. if that's what you're doing, simply because Rivers is not only a better on-ball defender, but he likes to know the intimate details of a team's defense. Uh, actually, D'Lo does too, but uh, Rivers wants to combat it rather than outthink it. And uh, you know, I don't know. I, just it's just not aside, a good. It's just not a good answer if your recourse to 
being able to win that game with a switching five type defense is taking D'Angelo Russell and Rudy Gobert off the floor, who are your in that game, you know, your second and third best players, right? So what that that that's what I think Finch is wrestling with, will wrestle with in a in a playoff series is, you know, how how do you handle that exactly? At the end of regulation, he went some offense defense with Rivers. Uh, that didn't right. particularly work either. But these are the predicaments that are inherent on a roster when you have Rudy Gobert and and D'Angelo Russell. Very good players. But situationally, right. this situation specifically have ailments, right? And and we right. saw both of them get hurt by the five out offense it at you know in in overtime last night. So I don't I don't know exactly what the recourse would is because it's not just about like you can't just put Wendell Moore out there and be like, well, he's one of our best switchable defenders uh, because offensively I, I you're not going to do anything. It's both sides of the floor. Yeah, and that's where Rivers can be problematical. But I do think the problem with Wendell Moore is um, you also need to be aggressive because they're going to be quicker. You can't be uh, waiting for things to develop unless you're smart, really smart, like slow mo. Mm-hmm. Um, but just as an aside, a quick aside, I would let Draymond Green try to beat you from outside before I do anything sure. against Golden State. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, as far as it's a it's a fascinating point. Um, if I'm thinking, if I'm taking Gobert off the floor, I'm trying Nate Knight at least a little bit at first. Okay. Um, I think I like him more than Nas in this particular instance, simply because. He's his decision making. Nas is Nas is like a uh, like the stock market in terms of his defense. You know, you never know when it's going to go up or down or why it goes up or down. I mean, there are theoretical reasons, but they really it just seems more like a mood. You know, so, I, Britt, I think if our answer to this question at all includes the names Nate Knight, Wendell Moore, or Nas Reed. You don't have answers to the problem on your roster. Well, again, you're the one that said we've got to make an adjustment, and maybe that's bringing Rudy off the floor. Maybe Tori, you're thinking Torian Prince and slow mo. Yes. Okay. Or well, or making adjustments to the roster. It's why, and this is a kind of separate yeah. aside. It's why I think undoubtedly the biggest need at the trade deadline, if you could go get someone, is is a perimeter defender who also brings you a little bit of offensive juice i have that way ahead of you know a bench scoring player like uh, me too highland we don't need scoring off the bench we need uh what we need is defensive speed off the bench sure you know yeah so but you're right it's a legitimate problem um on the other hand you know Sacramento is going to take some bonus off the floor. Right. He's fouled out. So, I mean, there are enough teams where you think about it. Um, and the Clippers are uniquely suited because they can replace Zoo with um, mm-hmm. Batum, you know, and have things be. I, I, I went through this. I went through this last night as I got home and I started thinking about, you know, which of the teams the Wolves could play in the playoffs could hurt them this way. Nuggets? Utah. No. Right. Yeah. If we just go through the standings, Nuggets know they're gonna right. play they're yeah. gonna play Jokic. They're gonna play Jokic come hell or high water. Right. And even and not even when he's off they don't have an option to even spread you out, even in the twelve minutes he's off the floor. So Nuggets know. Right. 
Grizzlies. Yes, if you did Jackson that's at not the five, the way they like to I play. know exactly that. So that that's exactly what I put under that. I'm like, they're not going to let go of the physicality and not play both Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark, right? Like maybe they can buy, maybe it's something they could go to for five ten minutes in in a game, and maybe there'd be value in that. But I think that's broadly a no too. Kings, it's kind of the same thing as the Nuggets, only when Sabonis is off the floor. Pelicans, no, because even if you take Valanciunas off the floor. Zion isn't going to space. You could put Rudy on Zion. Clippers, resounding, yes, they can hurt you in this way. Mavs, resounding, yes, they can hurt you in this way. Suns, no, not if they're, I mean, they're always playing Aiton, Biombo, or I mean, maybe kind of with Landell, but not as a steady part of your diet. And then the Warriors, I think the answer would be yes. I hear your point on, on Draymond, but what he lacks for in floor spacing ability, I think he can make up for and He's hurting a great you. Court vision, yeah, exactly. he can pick you apart, right? So it's not a ton of teams that they could catch in the first round who could do this. But again, it's those same, it's those what same about the two. Thunder, you're Thunder. They may make the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Well, that might be a <laughs> play-in game. There's yeah. a play-in game. No, they would. Game. They they would. They would. Wouldn't that be rich out. irony if the Thunder came in and played five out and just stomped the Wolves in a play-in series. Wow. That would be bad, Juju. That, 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 <laughs> that would be bad, Juju. I mean, I think they just – it's interesting in, in the West, and this is another aside on a side and a side, is I don't think there's much difference 3-13 to 13 in no. in the league, in, in the West, in terms of even the quality of the – obviously we know – I would say 4-13. to 13. I'd put the Clippers up there with uh, – Interesting. You know, I, I think the Clippers are one of the top three teams in the West. Yeah, and they've I just been screwing around. They've been load managing the hell out mm-hmm. of Kawhi and PG thirteen. Right. Um, for whatever reason, I mean, I think they are content to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, come in as a six seed or come right. in as a seven seed, even. You know. Um, and and I I I with you in that they are going to be a riser here, or certainly a a riser in terms of fear of, of drawing them in the first round. And I would, I would put Phoenix and golden state in that too. Like I think, mm. and you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this. You know, I I've been talking about the past few weeks, like the top four teams in the West and kind of isolating that to the nuggets, the right. Grizzlies, the Pelicans and the Kings. And I do not think that that's how the standings are going to shake up. I certainly don't think that's the power rankings or what the power right. rankings of the West will be at the end. I do think whether they finish in three and four, uh, I whether or not they finish in three or four, I think the Clippers and the Suns and the Warriors um, are all higher in that in that pecking order, probably even than the Kings and uh, and the Pelicans are, and they might be the yeah. best of the rest. Yeah, the the Kings. I mean, we didn't get a good look at the Kings because Kevin Herter played ridiculously bad. Yeah, uh, and that's not been his mo this year or during his last couple of years with Atlanta. So. He just was in a big slump, and Mike Brown was really smart to take him out. Uh, that kid Davis had like he was plus sixteen in twelve minutes or something, and Monk and provided provided some of those open looks. Monk is just somebody you know. I had leftover bias against him from his stops and two other you know Charlotte and the Lakers. And I know, man. I was telling you after that first game, oh, you're like, oh, Malik Monk. I was like, dude, he's he's playing well this year. He's I playing know, well he this is. year. And, and and I actually saw him play well on TV a couple of times, but I just never, I didn't want to give it to him. You know? <laughs> he's, he's, well, I mean, he was a huge part of the their ability to spread it out because that's oh, yeah. what it's about. Yeah. It's it's oh, not he, about being able to just spread it out and shoot. 
It's about being able to spread it out and attack. And that they had both Fox and Monk who could exactly. do that. Exactly. You have two guards that you have to pay attention to in the paint off the dribble. And that sets up the perimeter so well. And that sets up the D'Lo problem defensively. What are the two games that D'Lo got benched here over the past month? Portland and Cleveland. Because Port- look, bench to close the game. Because Portland right. closed right. with Lillard and Simons. And D'Lo sat at the close of the Cavs game because Garland the Cavs have Garland right. and Mitchell. So there are there are a myriad of issues you need to negotiate when it comes to late game offense, defense, and and just what this team can do in the clutch, which is really as good of a facsimile for the for the playoffs uh, as we get. But Britt, let's let's grab our first break here and then um, come back and start talking a little bit about your uh, your ant call. Sound good? Sure. All right, back with Britt in a minute. Today's show was brought to you by The Genesis Company. The Genesis Company is the MVP of the business game. With their advanced marketing techniques, they've helped over 300 brands generate over $3 billion in retail sales. So if you're an entrepreneur with any size brand or product, they're the best in the business. And for being fans of the pod, they're offering free access to their proprietary AI technology that helps founders uncover the true potential of their brand. Find out how big your brand or product should be. Don't let your competition steal the lead. Email them at grow at thegenesiscompany.com and claim your spot at the top of the game. That's grow at thegenesiscompany.com. Today's show is sponsored by Falling Knife Brewing Company located in Northeast Minneapolis. This week at Falling Knife, there'll be multiple Wolves games on their TVs and projector screens with the sound on. You're looking for a place to watch, gather with friends for the Wolves, do it at Falling Knife with other Wolves fans who are locking in on the Wolves playoff push here. We also want to let you know about Falling Knife's Super Bowl party on February 12th. 45 bucks gets you all you can eat for Mario's in St. Paul and two free beers. If you're looking for something to do uh, for the Super Bowl, you can get those tickets by checking out Falling Knife on Twitter or Instagram at Falling Knife BC. And then also, if you're just really into craft beer, that's what Falling Knife does. Uh, they'll be tapping a keg of their rarest, most highly rated beer. It's called Screaming for Vengeance. It is a double barrel aged Imperial Stout. Uh, that stout spent 18 months in a Heaven Hill barrel, then an Eagle Rare barrel from Casanova Liquors and Hudson. So check out what Falling Knife really does too, which is is make high-level beer. Uh, whatever it is you're looking for this week, check out Falling Knife Brewing Company in Northeast Minneapolis, located off of Broadway Avenue. All right, Britt, um, you got on the Anthony Edwards bandwagon in terms of your uh, your writing this week. You'll have a a column up at Mim Post on on Wednesday morning detailing what uh what ant has become uh we, we've obviously i mean you and i have spent a lot of time talking about him i know i've spent a lot of time talking about anthony edwards i i appreciated in your piece um how you contextualized it through the growth year over year from year one to year two to now what it is year three and it, it's easy to to sit here and be like man this is just kind of great we can pencil ant in for 25 five and five kind of like minimum every night right now is is how it feels. I think we all saw that coming at some point. I'm not sure if we all saw that coming uh when he was 21 years old. But right. uh but it it's it's here man and like like you said in the piece, you know, it's kind of kind of living the dream uh with that. So why don't you get into some of those things that uh that you detailed in there that's been standing out to you of of Ant's progression over the past month. I think he's underrated. I mean, even given all the praise he's received, I mean, all the things I've read about him, and some of them have been very good, 
And, you know, even like uh, Michael Pena, a uh, uh, writer I really respect, wrote a not, you know, uh, fawning piece on him, uh, you know, picked a little bit of, you know, the way the organization has dealt with Ant, whatever. I know that's something you've, you know, talked about before, too, in terms of timelines and stuff. But what I find interesting is if Ant isn't on the floor, one half of the ball, one half of the court is in the dregs. I mean, it is, this team doesn't have a chance. Uh, in the month of January, they scored 103 points uh, per 100 possessions when Ant was off the floor. That's like six points below last place Houston. Um, yep. You know, and that's why Ant leads the NBA in minutes. And uh, so his role in making uh, one half of the floor elevate from the worst in the NBA to slightly above average um, is almost solely on him. Um you know, in January, as good as D'Lo shot the ball, uh, the team averaged almost 119 points per 100 possessions when he was off the floor, which says to me that Ant and whoever replaces D'Lo can take care of that thing that D'Lo does. Um, nobody can take care of what Ant does. What Ant does is draw at least double teams. He's at the top of the scouting report. People are trying to figure out now whether to let him roll, double team him, come with a trap, or play him one on one and try to get turnovers off, uh, you know, side traps or deflections, um, and try to wear him down on defense. Go after the heavy minutes he plays, but this guy's twenty one years old and he is eleven and five over the last month, being the focus of attention for the other team. Now, the emergence of Gobert on defense and their greater communication and the Wolves playing really good defense with their starting five is obviously helpful. But it doesn't make enough of a difference if Ant isn't who he is. And right now, who Ant is, is somebody who in this last month gave you over 50% from the field, over 50% from the line, I mean, from the three-point line, and over 90% from the free throw line. Uh, the old 50, just, 50, 90. Yeah. Yeah. And so all while, um, playing better defense than he's ever played. It's not, you know, there are some metrics out there that have him really good, which I frankly don't believe, but there's enough stuff in the analytics and in the eye test to say, Ant is no longer the liability he was. Um, no, he's not Jade McDaniels. He's not Slow-Mo and he's not Gobert. But if you have to take one of those two guys from the backcourt off the floor because of defense, you take D'Lo. Um, it's just, I just, uh, I think that his value, it used to be, one of the things that used to bother me about Zach Levine is Zach Levine's eye test was so much better than his real value. The guy is such a pretty player. He's got a fabulous jump shot. The form on it is wonderful. 
Um, he gets to the cup now really well. Um, but he was not a positive player on a winning team. He did not pull his oar on defense. He was not smart in terms of how he dissected other defenses, other teams. And yeah, he got better when he went to Chicago, but still not enough. I mean, they're thinking they're looking to trade him according to rumors now. And Ant, I think, has the same kind of pizzazz to the casual fan of, hey, isn't this guy incredible to watch? And he is. He's incredible to watch. But the glitz factor has been tamped down necessarily because he's got bigger shit to think about. He's got to deal with the offense, making sure the offense homes, especially in the third quarter when everybody used to come out lazy and Ann has made it so they don't anymore, especially in terms of, you know, hitting Jade McDaniels two times with the game on the line, uh, having that kind of trust. And yeah, he's young. He still dribbles into people. He still turns it over way too much. Uh, but his growth overall is just, um, it's not John Morant, but then again, John Morant can't play defense. And so, I just really like his game. I don't care about the all-star game. You know, there are cases to be made for Ant not making it. Um, those, those are peripheral things. Anthony Edwards is a cornerstone that is the most valuable long-term asset the Wolves have had since Kevin Garnett. Jimmy Butler would rival it if Jimmy Butler was here for more than one year, but I can't really name anybody else. Kevin Love didn't do this. Cat didn't do this. I think what is what what I said going into the season in my skepticism of Ant making the quote unquote jaw year three leap um, mm -hmm. was about defense. And um, if you just if you just look at his defensive estimated plus minus which kind of normalizes it, gives you a percentile, right? Ant as a rookie, I think, was graciously given twenty first percentile in in terms of. <laughs> His his defense, the obviously we talked about this a ton, like the the off ball um awareness was a zero at, as a rookie. And then and then last year, it's this huge leap. He he jumps up to 74th percentile at, in terms mm -hmm. of defense. And and I think that maybe exaggerated it some, but it was a, it was a major defensive progression for me, even last season. I was just skeptical about it because I found that. I thought at the time, I guess I still kind of think that was so much about the scheme that the Wolves were running last season that led to Ant's right. individual defensive progression, the aggressiveness uh, of the high wall. And I I think we knew coming into the season, you weren't going to have that same defensive aggressiveness given the change of personnel that led me to believe that the, the defense is going to at best plateau um, from Ant. Probably regress some because it's a very different defensive duty that he's being tasked with. What I underestimated was just overall growth in in his defensive basketball IQ. I when I thought he would become a worse defender in a drop scheme, um that was just looking at him scheme to scheme. It wasn't I wasn't baking in enough of the mental progression that he could have. And 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 now this season he grades out as 70th percentile, I, you know, I, I guess that's kind of technically a plateau, but given the change in scheme, I think that's... No, it's not a plateau at all, because I actually think 
I I didn't read those you know overall numbers. I do think that uh, he is more effective this year than he was last year. I think he was picked on last year. Yeah, no, you know, I, you, you, I think it's you a can progression. say, you know, 74th, but I got to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, and I, I don't want, I didn't mean to yeah, make no. those come off as, as law at all. I think that's a signal of progression that right. he has about the same defensive metrics as he did a year ago, given the defensive right. scheme change and given, too, the additional on-ball duties he has as a defender this year because there is no Patrick Beverly, there is no Jared Vanderbilt. Even Malik Beasley took a lot of that over Ant last season. So that he can be doing this defensively in a different scheme and with worse defensive personnel, that is a testament to his defense when simultaneously happening, happening as the offense has undoubtedly leaped. And I think the Levine one is a is a really good comparison. I pulled up his his numbers too in terms of his of his defense and you go through his 3 years in Minnesota as a rookie 4th percentile defensively second year 11th percentile defensively third year 19th percentile defensively goes to Chicago 15th it did not progress and it still you know now what is that 9 years into Levine's career he's still about an even he hasn't really been even an average defender right. in his career. And that is the major distinction between two players with extremely flashy athletic games is, is Ant has put it together significantly more than Zach Levine has in about, you know, a third of the time. And John Morant, who's notorious. I mean, everybody looks to, you know, all right, who is John going to guard? Who are they going to hide him on? Mm-hmm. You know, Imagine that happening to Ant. This team would be screwed. Totally. You know? it, yeah. No, I mean, they lost all of their perimeter defenders and needed. I mean, part of the reason they made that trade was a belief in Ant's ability to be a perimeter defender, which to us, I think, on the outside was very much in question because all we'd really seen is, OK, there's two minutes left in a playoff game against John Morant. He's going to turn him, you know, three times defensively. It was such. It was so isolated, right. uh, his big defense, individual defensive possessions. It's still somewhat isolated, but the volume of it is higher, and it's in those high leverage moments still, fourth quarters, et cetera, et cetera. So point being is I am now willing to acknowledge the leap because to some extent we anticipated this offensive jump, but the leap to me is defined by the fact that he's doing it on both sides of the floor because that was the definition I used at the beginning of the season. And also, he's a phenomenal locker room guy. Boom. And he's a guy, Chris Finch coaches him so much harder than anybody else. Chris Finch never has a bad word for anybody but Ant. Whenever he gets a chance to rip Ant for some perceived physical ailment or, you know, the way he's trying to do something, he will call Ant out. And Ant, by all accounts, his own mostly, He's always saying, Finchie's good for me doing this and that. He likes it. And that's just uh, when you're going to have like, you know, the the example that's always used is Tim Duncan, right? Pop could always get on Tim Duncan and then everybody else had to fall in line. Well, Lance, obviously not Tim Duncan. He's not Mr. Fundamental, but he is the alpha on this team. Anybody who thinks otherwise is crazy. And so... He's become the most complete player on the roster. I mean, I I thought about that before I wrote it. And I just, you know, 
maybe Kyle Anderson. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, just yeah. I can't think of a, a player that combines his offensive. He's a double plus offensive player and at worst an even defensive player. And, you know, I don't know. I, I think that it's just he's 21 years old and, you know, whatever we think of Gerson Rosas, he made that was a great draft. Yeah, I mean, well, compare that to, well, James Wiseman coming to town uh, tomorrow, who won't play, was the number two pick. And And McDaniels at 28, wasn't it? Now, you know, I understand that that was perhaps more luck than than science, but uh, to have those two guys land on your roster, uh, you know. Well, I mean, it it just completely changes the... Honestly, the importance of this Gobert trade working. Like exactly. That's the thing. Is that let's think back to New Year's Eve. They just lost to Detroit for the first time. And then it was a week ago that I was pretty much saying, I don't, you know, I'm not gonna trust this team, yeah. you know. And they have been able to solidify Gobert's comfort level by surrounding him with enough supplemental defenders that he knows what he's doing a little bit more. He, he housekeeps in the paint a lot more efficiently. And then on offense, Ant covers, I mean, we people always think in terms of Gobert covers up so many sins of these poor defenders. Well, Ant is covering up yeah. the sins of, Terrible offensive players on this team. Rudy Gobert is not a good offensive player. He plays like a fool at least three times a game. I mean, that's just a fact. Just in terms of, like, you're, you're talking about, like, sloppiness in terms of post moves. I'm talking about not being moves. able to catch the ball. Yeah, I'm okay. talking about, you know, moving like a robot. I'm talking about uh, the limits of his skill set in terms of his moves around the paint. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, he's a historic true shooting percentage guy. He's a tremendous finisher on the pick and roll, great at putbacks, can do his very limited thing as well or better than anybody's ever been able to do it. But don't ask him to do too much more than that. And so, you know, if you have players that can counter that, uh, then you need a guy like Ant that could go get you a bucket uh, or go set up a bucket for somebody else, occasionally go bare. But you take Ant out of this roster, you've got D'Lo, Slomo, Gobert, and McDaniels. I got to tell you, you know, that's not getting to the playoffs. I With the, with the Rudy thing, um, I just think it's worth pointing out that he played in the dunker spot as much as he has all season uh, last night. And I found that to be productive in lowering baseline, right? Yeah. Or just like kind of lowering the full quotient, I guess with with what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. No, very good point. I I think that's going to be a, like a, a good thing to, to lean into in some ways when you just, resign him to there, you take away some of his screening value. Yes, what I was going to say is you do, I mean, he has been really valuable on screens. But this is what it is, right? With with Rudy is, right. it's been a lot of guess and check in terms of how to make him 
work best offensively. Uh, the post up idea that really littered the Thank beginning of the God season. And, and, you know, like some of the, which I think was inspired by Eurobasket, some of the like using Rudy on the elbow, elbow extended, because um, that looked kind of good in Eurobasket. I think Finch leaned into that a little bit more at the beginning of the season. And the difference was bigs just dropped back to the rim, even if Rudy caught it at 15 feet at the elbow. And then so Rudy was trying to kind of like Giannis head down attack there. That's been removed as well. We've seen more. It was George Mikenville. I mean, that's really what you had there when, um, I mean, you look at the teams in that Eurobasket, Nurkic actually battled him to a draw and everyone else was just too small. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was apple, it was apples to oranges. It was confused as apples to oranges that would, you know, uh, apply here. But I, I I mean, it was wishful thinking by Finch to think that that was going to be a, a, I mean, he wanted to unlock Gobert. You could tell by the way he was talking about it. You know, I preface every time I criticize Fish by telling everybody how much I like him. But in this particular instance, I didn't get it at all. Oh, yeah. No, I don't. I, I mean, neither did I. My, my point of bringing that up was that stuff has scaled back and has started to yes. be applied in in different ways. More pick and roll, more in the dunker spot, or just less usage. I mean, it, it less seems usage. like... Amen. It, right. it seems like every other game, you know, we'll we'll look at the the box score in the third quarter and be like, okay, Nasri's taking eleven shots in this game. Nate Knight is taking six, and Rudy Gobert is taking three. You know, it's like it's funny how it works in that way when they're doing it in a third of the minutes. But right. but it's it's okay because it seems to be effectively reducing the usage, and then you know, situationally, just kind of finding him on little lobs, things like that, not post ups, which I think accentuates that elite level true shooting percentage um, right. that you're, you're talking well, about. Well, my my ideal Rudy Gobert games are not the 25-21 or the 2016 or so. I mean, I like I like him shooting like four for seven mm-hmm. and getting like 12 rebounds and then being and like, 13. Like, like plus 24 because he's playing just yeah. lights out defense. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I want. I want I, I love I, it. Does give me a a thrill to see people coming into the wolves paint for change and then just <laughs> thinking better of it. You know, right, right. I mean that that's uh, that's fun. That's fun to see. And you know, I know I just I ripped him pretty thoroughly. But as much as I don't like his offense, I do like his defense. Let's take out. Let's take one more break and then kind of hit a couple of random things here from from the. I'm up for random. All right, uh, back with Britt in a minute. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Britt, um, before the game against Sacramento on, on Monday night, uh, we had our pregame media with uh, with Chris Finch, and we both kind of walked away from that saying, this is kind of the most informative time to to talk to Finch before the game yeah. has happened. Um, and, and they're winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that, that, that's true. Coming off of a win. Uh, so I want to kind of like hit on uh, – I, I grabbed a couple clips from that yeah. to – uh, he he talked about uh, D'Lo shooting. He described how Jaden McDaniel's has shit in his blood as a as a <laughs> complimentary uh, point there. And then he also talked about why uh, the defense has improved with D'Lo Ant and and Rudy on the floor. Which one of those do you want to start with? Uh, I'll take any of them. They're all good to me. I mean, uh, D'Lo shooting is yeah. interesting because he pretty much praises Ant. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's let's play this clip. And again, context okay. being this, right. this came after D'Lo uh, shot eight of eight in the first half against Sacramento, right. and right. before he right. shot four of sixteen last night. Right. But I but I found this interesting too. Chris, do you think D'Angelo is just simply on a good shooting streak, or do you think this the way he shot the last couple of months is a reaction playing off the ball? Uh, I think it's um, well, he's certainly on a great shooting streak, and I think it's a result of to the ball moving, um, playing off of Ant, and uh, we're able to find him later on in the offense, um, you know, and then he's just ready, he's committed to catch and shoot, you know, he's, he can score certainly off the bounce, he's, everyone knows about his mid-range game, his pull-up game, um, but, you know, he's an elite catch and three-point shooter, and he's has really trusted it. I mean, that's been key. You know, he's gotten a lot of really clean looks, I think. And so it starts with him off the top. The ball's in his hands, gives it up, gets to Anthony. Anthony draws the crowd, and then he's kind of been uh, the beneficiary of it. And do you think this was a difficult transition for him at all, or how, how did he react when this started becoming the way you're going to do things? Uh, no, not at all. He's handled that. This, I mean, I think it's been pretty natural. You know, um, the chemistry between those two guys is growing and growing. I think they're. I think uh, it's no secret that it, it was a little bit take turns basketball early in the season between those guys as they were trying to figure it out. Um, yeah, he's no, I don't think there's been any issue with him handling it at all, really. All right, but so that obviously plays a lot better in the context of what happened in the the first Kings matchup, where we really did see all those things that that he was oh, describing yeah. the the playing off of Ant. If you go back and watch the 23 points D'Lo had in the in the first half without missing a shot, it stands out. The and inclusion. then he did make one in the second half. He did not make one in the second half. And 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 that is That's kind Stilo of too, right? Yeah, yeah. It 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 goes both ways. And I think what Finch is trying to get at is we're trying to take away the lows by including Ant more as as the creator and by having D Lo limit 
some of his shot selection or prioritize catch and shoot more um, in his offensive shot selection than the bad times where it, it's a little bit. I mean, it's kind of like the end of the game last right. night or those games where the offense gets slowed down, bogged down, and he's needing to take a bunch of mid-range uh, jump shots. So that's why I think the numbers are significantly better, which isn't to take away from D'Lo. I mean, he's hitting those no. shots at a at a crazy rate, but they are, I think it is fair to say that those numbers are contingent upon what is surrounding him, how the ball is moving, and specifically how, how Ant is playing. Yes, and... Re-listening to it, I heard it obviously uh, pre-game yesterday. It's just only time I've heard it since, and I didn't transcribe it. Um, was Finch's? What happens if Delo is catching and shooting? It means that Delo isn't dribbling, and and he he wants to emphasize that as much as possible too. Uh, Delo is famous for his cat and mouse, and. Um, if you know anything about Chris Finch, you know it It has to drive him crazy. It has to be. His whole deal is people are moving around and the ball is moving around. And ideally, the ball is moving in one direction and the people are moving in another. So defenses have to choose what they want to focus on. The guy who's going to get open or the man with the ball. And that's... It's, much as I can distill a Chris Finch offense as possible. If you have a guy who has his head up, he's not looking to lower his shoulder and put the ball on the deck and create disruption. Instead, he's surveying the court um, and not usually looking for cutters, more looking for how the defense is going to react to this thing and what scheme they're in so he can figure out the best way to provoke something. Well, those are precious seconds in yeah. Chris Finch's mind. And so I think Finch enjoyed answering that question by saying, look at how great D'Lo is when he plays off the ball, gets a pass in the open, and then just immediately goes up and buries that. You know, And he has the advantage of being accurate. In this particular case, D'Lo has been unlocked to some extent because he's catching and shooting without a lot of that free thought. It was really reminiscent to me of when uh, when Finch would talk about how much he liked D'Lo playing next to Jordan McLaughlin over the, the previous two years, too. I mean, I'm serious. It's like it's getting when he shared the floor with J-Mac, it got to a lot of the same things or more frequently got right, right. to got to those same things, which is, you know, to, to Jim's question, you know, it, how much of this is about being off ball? And I think the answer is a lot though it is not going to exclusively be off ball. No. Um, no. One just because and, and it should be, because yeah, Theo is a really good passer. He, you know? he is, too. Um, let, let's keep moving through this one. Kind of connects okay. to D'Lo, too. Um, you asked him about the improved defense when D'Lo, Ant, and Rudy are on the floor. Let's play that clip. Defensively, um, Rudy with D'Lo and Ant wasn't working very well the first six weeks, whatever, two months of the season. It's slowly but surely gotten a lot better. Is that familiarity or was it that D'Lo and Ann are on the ball a little bit more or is it Kyle being the fourth guy there? Yeah, I think there's uh, three things that uh, are at play there. Um, first and foremost, D'Lo's defense is really taking a step forward. His competitiveness, his physicality, his willingness to take any matchup and uh, just battle more. Uh, I've been really happy with that. Um, the pursuit by Ant 
seen a lot of actions that's been way better. Uh, and and, and, and Marie's been challenging things at a much higher level. Uh, and those are all things that we kind of really needed those guys to do. And those were the things, Britt, that didn't happen in overtime, right? Um, which right, doesn't make right. that statement untrue. I think that's broadly uh, true through the month of January with, with D'Lo uh, and, and Rudy on the floor defensively. It's just another one of those things that is an example of how small the margin is for success with this team. And also, it's a drop coverage scheme that both he and I were kind of talking about there. If you recall... The first six weeks of the season, a very predictable, almost monotonous Finch lament was, we're not containing on the ball, we're not physical enough, we're not fighting through screens. Everybody knew he was talking about the backcourt. In fact, every now and then he'd purposefully talk about it being the backcourt. Mm. And both Ant and D'Lo were indicted in that. And they were terrible. Both of them were not playing uh and and we talked about this, I think, in the last podcast about how some of that was just preference. Let's wait them out and get our high wall back, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I think now with this five out, you know, to go full circle on that, that will be less important. What will be more important is is that chase value that he was talking about, the ability to pursue uh, players and to stay in front of people. But it's a different kind of staying in front of people. Um, you're not going to be rubbed off picks in five out as much. You're going to be having the space used as the way to, to you know, deter defensive containment, um, which requires hustle. And Anne has it. Every now and then, Delo has it. Um, Gobert is uncomfortable with it because he's away from home. His home is the paint. Mm. And if he's not home, he feels incomplete. I also think, as I think of the progression of that group or the progression of the starting lineup, as you said, the the defense with the, the starting lineup with Jaden McDaniels and Kyle Anderson next to those three has, you know, has been terrific. I think we've done a good job of highlighting, you know, what what Kyle has has brought to that and and delivered. And I with Jaden McDaniels, I don't know if it's because he's silent or 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 what it is. I just I don't feel like I'm giving him enough credit. I'm seeing him not only fine tune his his on ball defense, um, maybe make some steps towards doing it without following a little bit more. But I what's really stood out to me over the past month with Jaden is his um, bandwidth he's taken on to do even more than the point of attack defense. Like if his, if his guy, you know, if he's guarding De'Aaron Fox and on that possession, you know, Kevin Herter's bringing the ball up. Jaden isn't going, all right, I'm just going to wait over here on De'Aaron Fox. I'm going to run up the floor next to Kevin Herter. And if he fumbles this dribble for a second, I'm going to jump in here to trap it. It's just like these little things with him where he's like, it honestly seems like in Jaden's head, he's like outside of fouling, I'm kind of like a 10 out of 10 in terms of point of attack defense. So what more can I do? And uh, I just think, I think we, we continually uh, underrate that as I start seeing some people talk about what all defensive teams are, are going to look like. And I haven't really seen McDaniels, name on, on a lot of those. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those, the devil's in the, the right. details yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, you know, I try to be objective. I mean, I know I'm watching right. it every night and maybe that's what really drives it, but I do not think you can undersell sell what, what Jaden has done and just who he is as a competitor. I, I loved the, the, the answer that, that Finch gave about, about Jaden and, and his competitiveness. Again, this was pregame before the, the Sacramento game. Jaden's personality is, is pretty unique, very, very understated. What yeah. stands out about the mixture of his quiet demeanor versus the way that he plays? Yeah, he's got like, you know, in the way I, I mean, I always say he's got, he's got some shit. Like, he's super competitive. Like, you don't think he does, but he, it's, it's there. It's always boiling away under the surface. He does a good job of, of really uh, channeling it in the right direction. Um, it's one thing that I love about him. Can sometimes be hard on himself because he demands a lot of himself, but it always comes from a place of being super competitive and it has to be with the way we ask him to guard and who we ask him to guard. That was that was funny that uh, that was just the internet editing out shit there. I did not bleep <laughs> that out. I don't know. That was just funny timing. Of, that was it. It cut out and, for and a second. Finch used to, Finch, I mean, not to uh, titillate over naughtiness, but Finch also used the word ass in the post game where, you know, we showed our ass or something like that. And mm-hmm. a, you can just tell he's in the mood lately to uh, just speak frankly and whatever mm-hmm. words tumble out of his mouth. Um, the thing about McDaniels that I love is that the bandwidth is going both ways. Yeah. Um, really good point. The, I, I said to you, that's Scotty Pippen, you know, in reference to uh, Finch's famous quote about, you know, he sees uh, parallels between McDaniels and Scotty Pippen. And it was because McDaniels beat his man off the dribble. There was another guy waiting to, to be there. Yeah. He kept his dribble, went through the lane, spun and hit a floater. That was a tough shot. And he did, critical not, time. he did not pause for an instant. He knew. He was going to take that shot. Uh, he's just playing with a lot of confidence right now. And that obviously that three to uh, – he was going to pass it to slow-mo until the guy covered, and he almost traveled. He thought enough to put the ball on the deck for one dribble so he didn't travel and then gathered himself and hit the shot. Uh, but that guy – I mean, Jay McDaniels is over 40% from three in the last, like, 20 games. Uh, and given the fact, and I, I do think a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, he's a threat off the deck. So he is getting more room to shoot. And I think he's still regarded, if not the fifth, at least a distant fourth option on mm-hmm. this team. And so he's not given the kind of coverage. Put it this way, teams needing to stop Ant are giving McDaniels a lot of comfort as well as D'Lo and Slomo. Um you know Britt, with the I, with the Scotty Pippen line I mean I think we've derided that more than we've endeared it though it's kind of both right and right. what when he gave that was a one-on-one interview with you gave yeah. you that quote that was after Jaden's rookie season correct it was yeah and and that was kind of why you're like whoa but yeah. What always stood out to me, and particularly why I thought it was a whoa then when we got it, was Scotty Pippen was not just a defensive player, right? No. And no. and he, at he's that like eighteen to twenty a game, yeah. next to Jordan. And then when Jordan left, he was 
mid twenties, I think. And, and that that's why I was like, okay, this is a bit outlandish at the time because we hadn't really seen on the floor of what we can watch right. any right. of that offensive bag from, from Jaden whatsoever. But Finch had seen that, you know, yeah. in, in practice, just Jaden has never had a role up until this season or even up until the last couple months where he had any real volume of, of usage that could, that could highlight any, even last season, what was Jaden's offensive game? Like corner threes. And then that little back cut thing he ran with Delo. I mean, what percentage of his offense was just that, you know? And, and now man, the, like the off the dribble stuff, the, the ability to late shot clock attack, like that, that play specifically that you're referencing was, was huge. And then obviously he hits the game tying three also that you talked about that, that sent it to overtime. Like, the defense is top tier and critical, so critical given yeah. the the context of this roster. But the upside with Jaden, and when we want to start talking about leaps for him too, that ties to what he can. It's kind of the inverse van, right? It's it's what right. more what right. more can you show me uh, offensively? And I'm I'm curious if or when we ever will see that when his immediate future. It, you know, includes sharing the floor with Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, you know, like right. how right. much of that bandwidth, how much can it even sort of grow? But it's this, it's the idea that it could does not seem uh, aspirational at all. And I just found myself wanting to be like, man, we, we, we should keep pointing at this kid for as much as we're pointing at Ant. Um, Jaden's progression has been really special too. And I think I wrote somewhere in the column that I really do believe that they are the two most improved players on the roster. Not only He's, Ant, but McDaniels. I mean, who else is even in? Yeah, the I guess Kyle well, Anderson. I, mean, <laughs> well, Kyle, I did actually think of Kyle Anderson as the other guy, but I mean, Tori, not, maybe Nas. I think Prince has had a better year. Yeah. yeah, Nas in his own way, but, but nothing the, compared to Ant and Jaden. No, I mean, no, no. And, and it's just been. There is something about one of the things I really liked about Chris Finch is he he doesn't love players just because uh, they're good guys or they'll do what he says or he's got a plan for them. Um, he sees, I mean, he he gushed over Carl Anderson from the moment they got him and has continued that. I've never heard him praise any two players more than Jade McDaniels and Kyle Anderson. And they just happen to be the fiber of this team. I mean, Ann is the backbone of this team. Rudy, in his own way, is the defensive identity of this team. Anywhere he goes, that's what he is. Um, Cat is, you know, the historically, you know, versatile scorer. But if you're talking about, you know, fiber, you know, raw carrots versus cooked carrots, uh, you've got slow-mo and you've got Jane McDaniels and you've got a chance in a lot of games if they're both on their game. Can I kind of spin this full circle? I've, we've already done yeah, that a couple of times. Do. Sure. Um, and I'm tucking this more than 60 minutes into the podcast because I don't, what else is new? I don't think people want to hear more about me and my fantasized lineup of Rudy, Cat, Kyle, Jane. Oh, no, 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 I think you should. But, Contextually, in literally just that Kings game, 
How does that go differently if those are the five players that are on the floor last night? It's either much better or much worse, depending on what... I would agree with that. I mean, I mean, not I that mean, it, it couldn't that, have gotten much worse, but I, I, it could have been just as bad. I, I agree with that. Well, there could have been two guys buying to see who dunked. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know me, I am deathly afraid of yeah. incorporating Cat back into the defense of this team. I just don't know how it works. Um, but maybe there is a way to, uh, I mean, certainly at the other end. That's what I was going to get to. Yep. You will punish. I mean, you know. Which, again, if you don't have any answers defensively, the other group didn't have any answers, and maybe this right. one wouldn't either. I think you could right. make a case that maybe the shell would work better with that five than the five they had last night, but maybe not. What I think you could say with a bullet is, okay, the Kings tried to go small against us after Sabonis went out of the game and Cat went to work on Harrison Barnes or Trey Lyles or Chemezi Metu or whatever it was. Because Carl would certainly have that in his game. And then maybe if he misses a bunny, Rudy's able to come get an offensive rebound over Malik Monk. I mean, that's the punishing you're talking about. and. I'm just curious if and when this roster is at full strength and you see a spread out off or spread out offense against them, that is an option that we didn't talk about at the beginning of the episode because we were talking about it through the context of Carl right. being out. Yes. In the no, playoffs, Carl would be back. And against the Clippers or the whoever, if they were to do that, you would have a greater ability to punish offensively, I think. One of the things I will say is that slow-mo is so team conscious on defense that I think he's susceptible to cuts that Cat would not be susceptible to because Cat likes the paint. Cat uh-huh. wants to be in the paint. So I think to the extent that you have two guys who want to be in the paint, you just have to cross your fingers and hope that mm-hmm. everybody's not really hot from distance, you know? Um, but I think it would be more of a we'll dare you to beat us from beyond the arc. Mm-hmm. You know, with if that unit was in there, and even in in those circumstances, you've got three guys on the perimeter that chase people, and slow mo and McDaniel's. That's not chopped liver out there. You right. know, I mean, that's that's pretty good scramble defense for those three guys. It's all shaping up to be, again, assuming the Wolves get out of the play and they get in the playoffs. Right. Um, fascinating to see who the matchup is and what limitations Finch is willing to accept given that opponent. Because, you know, you could make, as I was just making the case there, maybe that's a situation where you take D'Lo off the floor. Well, maybe if it's the Suns and Carl is tasked at the floor with guarding Cam Johnson, maybe that, maybe Carl's not on the floor in that situation, right? Right. And and now these are any of these things are big white flags to raise of saying, even considering, oh, we're going to take Rudy off the floor at this time, or we're going to take D'Angelo off the floor at this time, or we're going to take Carl off the floor at this time. But I think given how uniquely constructed this roster is and in its size and uniquely constructed in its lack of perimeter defenders, you got to make some concessions, uh, probably with some of your your best players like the only two players in crunch time that I think 
absolutely have to be on the floor, as crazy as this sounds, are Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Because those are two guys who are your future anyway. And I am not of the belief that this is the season that this team, I mean, I thought they were going to win 50 games. Maybe they'll wind up winning 44, 45 games, which would be, you know, quite a, quite a effort. Particularly with Cato. Yeah, sure. Last half of the season. But um, I am now of the thinking that um, the relationship I'm more interested in is surrounding Ant and McDaniels more than I'm interested in surrounding Cat and Gobert. Um, yeah. I really am. And and because I actually think that um, I, I have said that I think Ant is the most complete player on the roster. I don't think McDaniels is there yet, but I also think that if you're asking me uh, who we say we are not trading that guy two years from now, McDaniels is more of a guy you say that about than either one of the bigs. Just, just and wild. so, you know, uh, yeah. I, and, I, and, and so, you know, it's, and that's a good thing. Right. I mean, it's not, it doesn't know, require needing to trade Carl. You're not saying you have to keep Ant and Jaden and you have to trade Carl. No, it's not that. It's that if you determine you needed to make a roster change to fit the roster as a whole, then ca- trading Carl would be, an option. Obviously, the ideal situation is make it work with D'Lo at the one and at the two, Jaden at the three, Carl at the four, Rudy at the five. There are just limitations in those players' games collectively that that make me really question right. that, particularly in a playoff context. That's and particularly because the best enabler on the team is Kyle Anderson. Yeah, <laughs> who's the guy who now you're you're letting him enable bench guys? Kyle Anderson is a premier enabler. You want him enabling your highest skill sets, and and so that's what gets complicated. Um, and you can do that without starting Kyle. I'm again, oh, know, I'm not saying with my super long lineup thing that Dilo needs to not start or Dilo needs to not play. Right. It's just that in your rotation targeting that I think is a good idea good way to iron out some of your wrinkles and to you know take care of some of the issues that will present itself late in games or or in the playoffs that's just my opinion right well i'm on record as saying that i would re-sign D'Lo for a year or two at 25 28 whatever million dollars a year maybe not 28 but 25 um if it came to that but I am also totally on board with the idea that this recent shooting splurge makes him more tradable in February and getting the kind of quick defensive oriented perimeter player um, that this team might be able to hang on to. Maybe not even up, maybe a three team or maybe with another piece and maybe it's somebody you develop or maybe it's See, the know, maybes what, though are what makes it. So when people are like, do you, one, do you think they will trade D'Angelo Russell? Or two, do you think they should trade D'Angelo Russell? I just go back to, I don't know what the maybes are. I, exactly. And that's so, the thing about every, I mean, 
Yeah. I will tell you, Wojin champs don't know either. Yeah. It's I mean, it's just this crazy idea that uh, oh, if only we were able to do this. He's, you know, I, I, I'm not. We don't. We're way too <laughs> long in the podcast for me to get on my usual rant about how there's a million ways we don't know about the trades will yeah. ever happen. And I think the answer you know, is Brit. Is it's just like either option could work based on how many of the maybes come up on either side gold. Like you can, it's an imperfect situation here. All teams are imperfect situations and you're trying to make better situations. That's who do I think are the five best players on the roster right now? I will tell you who I think they are. I think they are Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, Kyle Anderson, and. uh, Jade McDaniels. Sounds like Dilo a was not I was among about. the five best players. If you put those five on the court together, sometimes there's going to be times when you need. Maybe Ant doesn't have it as a playmaker that day. Yeah. Maybe the matchup is bad, or maybe McDaniel's is guarding Zion because Carl can or something. I mean, there will be ways. But mm-hmm. if you want me to tell you who I want to watch to see if it works you know, how to launch this next grand experiment. Um, Devo can cat and mouse with the, you know, Iowa ants and see how that rolls, you know? Well, uh, that, that's my opinion. I think D'Angelo Russell can be Tyler Hero. I, I do. In in that uh-huh. role that Tyler Hero was, was in last year, and technically that was a bench role, and he won six man of the year and all that, and that is, would would seem like, a regression off of after having signed a a max contract, but Tyler Hero isn't really a sixth man, you know. Like he right. is intimately involved in Miami's best lineups, and I think that's what D'Angelo Russell's future is—a best future in in this league—is is that Tyler Hero role. And I just wonder if you can get him into this role on this team after having played him not in that role for three seasons. I think if he goes elsewhere in a contract year, right? Right. Yes. I'm just saying like bigger picture, like the only way I'm with you in, in the idea that you would want to sign him to a multi-year extension is if I felt very confident in the idea that he could shift into that Tyler hero type of role and, and have, you know, a similar level of success. I think skill wise, he can do that. Politically, financially, given that the Wolves have so many weird big guys and everything, it's like it's hard for me to see it in Minnesota. Though I don't think it's uh, impossible at all. That's just that's my hesitation on that because I just don't know if it would to use the term seamless. I don't know if right. it would happen seamlessly. Well, one of the things that one of the reasons I say I would be for that is it because it removes the stigma of an expiring contract when you're talking trades so let's say Delo signed for two years and then when you talk trade with somebody you got a set number and you got them for two years and that's what you have for somebody who's interested in Delo for Delo rather than Delo as a, a roster slot may be willing to give you more than Delo the expiring contract now talking over and over again about betting on yourself. So, you know, it's a, 
do I think if he went to the Clippers, uh, he'd take some of Steve Ballmer's money? Yeah, by all means. Right. But I also think that D'Lo is legitimately curious about where he can land with his unique skill set. And there are ways, you know. Totally. I, I mean, there are ways where D'Lo, uh, you know, D'Lo on the Kings would not be that bad as a change of pace of De'Aaron Fox, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think Mitchell is it, you know. I mean, Malik Monk as a point guard, I don't think is it. I, But there are a lot of other teams, too, that, you know. D'Lo as the Jalen Brunson of Dallas, you know, the Jalen Brunson, too. That works. D'Lo next to Luca. I mean, you know. Particularly given how you've seen him play off of Ant. Right? Exactly. Like, so, you know, I, a lot there, of are ways, there, there are ways for D'Lo to be valuable. Uh, you know, I've said some a lot of negative things about D'Lo. I've said he's been around long enough. I've said a fair bit of positive things about him, too. He's an up-and-down player. But uh, I think rather than punt the salary slot, I still am in favor of figuring out a way to keep him or something of that value in the mix, Um, especially as Ant and McDaniels improve and you begin to get a clearer idea of what specific type of role player. It may be that you want a guy who's fit is more valuable than his skills. Mm -hmm. And therefore you can make a trade that another team won't regard as, you know, that's what good teams do. They, you know, they get somebody, the Celtics got Brogdon for like a bunch of filler and a first round pick, you know, Uh, you know, they were capped out pretty much. So I, I think there are ways to do it. And, you know, Tim Connolly, had a reputation of being that kind of guy rather than a blockbuster deal kind of guy. So, and maybe we'll see some of that. Hopefully we'll see it. Um, I wouldn't mind a little shake up, you know, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I think it's, it's legitimately one of those cases where there's different paths make similar amounts of logic. And it's Nas, so. Nas is a logical. Right. Know, it, it's only so a, interdependent. You with only four centers on the team, you know? <laughs> It, yeah, it's it's just it's so tied to me to what other teams are willing to give for him and how those other things it's always work. the road. It is. Right. Um, well, uh, this has been me with Britt Robson. You can uh, you can read his article up at MimPost on probably Wednesday morning. Uh, it's much more ant featured probably than than this episode was, but also just kind of broadly talks about what the Wolves have been in January and the the turn that they have. Legitimately taken. They have it. an identity, you know, which is really nice. Which we, we, it was, we, it was, it's in the wilderness <laughs> for a while. Well, how many times have we said they did? They haven't had an identity and, and they yeah. do, you know, credit, credit to that and credit to the role that everybody in that starting lineup and some guys on the bench have, you know, have played in that. They've made this interesting, uh, again. And, uh, you know, we're, we're biding our time here until the all star break or till the trade deadline to the all star break to the cat return, all that. Like, there are more chapters left in the season, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. So check out that article over at MinPost from Britt. You can follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA. I'll be back on Wednesday morning 
with Jace Frederick to, I don't know what Britt and I didn't cover here, but we'll talk about something on uh, on, on Wednesday uh, with Jace. Jace is always interesting. <laughs> Jace is always interesting. Um, until then, he's Britt. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it all so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.